listen to Death and All the Rest. I'm Lizzie Salwin. And I'm Zoe Inglefield. back again in the same room which is nice so nice we've had i think was it the last two episodes we weren't in the same room yeah it didn't feel the same just wasn't the same it's so no it's so nice to have you back in the glamorous i know podcasting studio that we have here but it's all worth it for those amazing renos yeah yeah we've been doing mad home renovations which i've talked about last time and and they're almost at an end, which is so nice. So I look forward to getting my house back. And, and the scheme of things, it didn't take that long, really, did it? I mean, a couple of... It probably felt like... It felt forever. like fucking forever when you're <laughs> in living it. in, like, two bedrooms out of a full house. And oh, yeah. Pa- like, there was painters every day and tilers and all that sort of stuff. But the house is getting there and it's looking much nicer. And that's good, eh? Very good. So this week, we have decided to broach the topic of grief. Yeah, this is sort of a big one for us, and this is one of the major topics that we wanted to cover. And obviously, we're at very different stages, so you know we can talk a little bit about where we're at and and the different experiences that we've had so far. Yeah, and obviously in the in the sort of previous episodes, we've probably touched on it a wee bit. But yeah, we've spoken a bit more sort of in depth. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it here and there, and and stuff that pops up along the way. But this for us is going to sort of be the big grief topic. So. We'll start off by um, just talking about the different stages of grief. So they are, initially it was seven stages of grief that were sort of created by Elizabeth Kudler-Ross, who's quite quite a well-known theorist yeah. from many years ago, but a lot of the fundamental stages of grief are still spoken about based on what again, her theories have said. So they yeah. are. So her initial seven stages of grief um, were developed for someone that was given a diagnosis, a diagnosis of a yeah. terminal illness. And they've been adapted over the years to then apply to um, the people that have experienced grief, but that, ha- you know, haven't. And yeah. And also touches on, I mean, what, which is quite interesting. Grief. It's not just about the loss, but she mentions about people having big losses of jobs yes. or, um, I don't know love I mean love. you know yeah, if exactly you're madly right. in love with someone and they break up with you yeah, like it's all this, fuck can, that's grief you know as you said before it's all very linear yeah so and grief textual so a- absolutely so I'll just go over the five stages of grief which I have here which is number one denial number two anger number three bargaining number four depression and then finally acceptance yeah so it's actually today is the six month anniversary of Mum's passing, and and from what I've I've observed over the last couple of weeks with you, I feel like possibly is been an unknown milestone of it is starting to really hit home for oh, you. Oh, absolutely! I mean, yeah. like I sort of said before in an earlier episode, when Mum died, it was such a sort of crazy time of year. It was December. It was right before Christmas, and I think. You know, if I didn't have my two little kids, I would have had the opportunity to sort of wallow in it a bit more. But I just had to fucking buckle down and get on with life. And, you know, you still have to do Christmases and all that sort of shit. Life goes on. Yeah, Yeah. life definitely goes on for those of us left behind. But I definitely can now, in hindsight, recognize some of the, the things that I have been doing and, like, 
you know, my, my coping mechanisms yep. and stuff like that. So I'm really aware of that. So we'll talk about that a bit today. So did you think you went through the denial stage or is that more? Apps, I feel like, I only actually feel like, I mean, I guess it's been thir- nearly 13 years since mum's actual passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. You had three years before that. From her diagnosis, Well, it's right? actually or, five. I mean, yeah. from her being diagnosed. But mm-hmm. whatever the, whatever I'm trying to say is... So that's 18 years It's a you. long time. Yeah. It's more than half my life. Yeah. Where, as my auntie always used to describe it, is a catastrophic event in your life. Mm-hmm. And I can hands on heart honestly say, I think the last sort of six months to a year, I've actually come to a an acceptance and not an acceptance but like a feeling happy again yeah so um it's taken a very very long time I mean obviously you have moments of happiness oh, throughout absolutely. that time like, and yeah. oh I, and and that's such a reflective thing like I mean like I've been fortunate enough to travel so much and mm. I've had a very very fortunate um life aside from that devastating life. event absolutely yeah, yeah. um and but I've never the only way I can describe it and many people will resonate with this and I've heard it before but sort of like a big black cloud yeah but in the last sort of year I feel like I can see past a big black cloud can you Um, see the rainbow well kind of (laughs) yeah and it's not and it's not about seeing the rainbow of like mum or people I've lost but it's sort of like you know life can be good as well mm-hmm. and um I think more importantly is I've reached a stage of feeling so thankful to have yeah. had her yeah and yeah. and the mark she's still left on my life and instead of feeling like you know she should be here and what I've missed out on it's more like what I did have yeah and I feel like it's a, it's a really good um feeling of clarity and um not all is lost. And, yeah. I, and within saying that, I've, I mean, again, I still have had happy times, but it just feels different now. That's, yeah. that's I can't explain it, but it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think for me, the denial, the denial wasn't when she died. Like, obviously. No. For me, it was, it was the initial, like, when she, when we found out that her, can't, my mum's cancer was terminal and they said to us four years, I remember this kind of, they said, well, the average lifespan, right? So average generally means half as people, Half, you know, half the people with that diagnosis won't live till four years. The other half will live longer. And yeah. I think I remember thinking, because my mum was just about to turn seventy, I was like, "Well, let's say it's not four years, and it's eight years. You know, oh, like no. let's just let's just picture that. And if it's eight years, why not ten? And I remember saying to mum, "That know, is so bargaining. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's bargaining. Obviously, that's bargaining. Because I other was, people think, but like bargaining is often known as, uh, for example, a sudden death or a suicide or whatever. Bargaining's like if only I'd." rung them one more time yeah. or if I had driven past and seen their car, that's bargaining. But yeah. your yours is absolutely another sense of bargaining. Like yeah. you know, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, we can do this and we know you're sick. We know it can't get better. Yep. But we can we can get way, way more time out of this. Yep. And and unfortunately for us I, you know, when we first got told that they thought she only had four years left, they didn't know, nor did we know that, that the cancer had already spread to her brain. And and that's what was like, obviously changed everything for us. Because yeah. if it had just metastasized to her lungs, there's a very good chance she still could be here. Yeah, that's right. Well, ex- 
it was only in mum's lungs and she lived three years. Exactly. So, exactly. And the truth is, like we said before, no one actually knows. But I remember you sending me that, well, sending a group message and um, my heart like sank, sank for yeah. you. I remember I was at working at the cafe and I was like, oh, it's probably, I it's mean. It's not going to be That's 10 so years. negative. Yeah. It's not going yeah. to be, but, you know, that's great that you think that. You yeah. Know, but what hurt me the most is that you've got, got no idea what's to come. Mm. And like now when I hear someone doing the same thing, like, oh, you know, family member or someone's recently diagnosed, but, you know, they're, they're going to fight and they're strong and and it's so sort of enthusiastic. But unfortunately, I know for me, I've heard so much, seen so much that mm. automatically my mind goes to... The worst case scenario? It does. Um, yeah. it, it's called yeah. catastrophizing things. Yeah. And I do do it. My yeah. therapist has told me that. But yeah. um, for me... The worst has always happened. Yeah. So, but you do hear of amazing Well, I mean, stories. not necessarily, because your mum did live longer. Like, they yes. said to her four months, and she did get... Yeah, no, you're right. A long, much longer than that. Yeah. You know, she did get years longer than that. So, it's also, I think, a tricky thing when people get told a time frame. It's yeah. so... You you, you just have to take it with an absolute fucking grain of salt. Like, you just... There's no, there's no telling, you know, no. and, and I actually, you know, have met quite a few people recently and I know you and I have discussed this before of people who have had very serious diagnosis that they're not going to live that long and they turn their lives around. Oh they completely change their diet. Um, one of my really good girlfriends, her mum got diagnosed with cancer. She never did a fucking ounce of treatment, but she like totally overhauled the way she ate and started meditating and went on these, I don't know, she did some kind of weird uh, what's it called? Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Like, not like a boot camp, but like a oh yeah, that workshop. The, like the, a workshop. Yeah. Yes, she did a workshop, and yeah. So my friend's mum got told she had cancer. She was like, "Fuck doing chemo. That's just poison. I'm not putting that shit into my body." She went and did a workshop. It was all about you know changing your diet, meditation, and to this day she's like a okay and she's cancer free. And then her husband got cancer as well, and they've done the same thing, <gasps> and he seems to be fine as well. You're joking. Yeah, but I mean, even when mum got sick, and I remember watching, I think it was that Netflix documentary, it was called like The Magic Pill, and it was oh, one yeah, of those yeah. Pete Evans ones, and it was about the keto diet, and one of the people on the documentary, she had been diagnosed with cancer, and then all of a sudden she started doing a keto diet, and she's like fucking fine now, like she's living life and she's okay. But then there's other people, like my friend's mum, she went completely vegan, stopped eating anything processed, like sugars no sugars, blend, nothing yeah. like that. And then she's okay. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like luck of the draw, like you either. No, who knows? And and it, I think it's all about perception and what and what you want to do. Like I know, like for me, once that oncologist told mum the horse is bolted when mm. she was smoking, like, I was like, live it up, eat yeah. whatever the fuck yeah. you want. And I yeah. probably would still have that mindset. Only I because of what what I've seen. But yeah. I very much um, hold value for what yeah. other people can achieve. And yeah. when you put your mind to something. My neighbor's the same. He had end-stage sort of blood cancer. Mm -hmm. And he sort of did a fasting thing for six weeks and all sorts. And he's still alive. And, wow. I mean, you can't fault that. Yeah, because they say, some people say, well, if you starve... The cancer cell. The cancer, yeah. 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 Whereas if you, you know eat sugars and stuff like that, you feed it. But in my mum's case, and I had sort of talked to her about, well, you know, maybe we should try some sort of extreme diets and stuff. She just she just did not have that kind of – She was no. like, I can only eat what I fucking feel like eating, which we know was KFC mashed potatoes. Yeah. And if that's what you want to eat, fucking eat it. But And I, 
hands down, if I got diagnosed tomorrow with some horrific cancer that, you know, there wasn't much prognosis or whatever, I can quite honestly say I'd probably just eat my heart out. And Would and, you do the treatments? Would you do oh, like it? Yeah, but I probably wouldn't go to like six-week fasting boot camps. No. I just don't have it in me. Like, but your aunt, when she got diagnosed the second time, she didn't do any treatment, right? She was just like, fuck that. Like, I can't. Yeah, no, but she'd always, in her mindset, said she wasn't going to. Right. And and she didn't even have the chance to, I don't mm. think, think about it. Mm-hmm. She was, I think, in her mind, the mind is just insane, mm-hmm. had always thought if it comes back, um, that's it. Yeah. Curtains. Yeah. And that's what happened. And yeah. And, yeah. But everyone's different, and that's fantastic. Yeah. So you think you're kind of in the acceptance stage now, right? Is yeah. that how you feel? Yeah, I actually do. After yeah. Th- yeah. Um, and so did you experience the anger? Well, funny you should say that. No, no, I didn't actually. And I never thought, I, I, I was more angry for, angry in terms of like the life she missed out on. Yeah. And I think as you get older, like being 34 now, and she was diagnosed at 50, that's only 16 years from now. Fuck. Fuck, that blows my mind. I know. And I haven't even had children yet. Yeah. And so I think the years, I went through a phase of the years I got older and, you know, had more, like, knew more about life and stuff, it would make me angry about what she missed out on. Mm -hmm. And what she got, like, didn't get to see with your life. Well, yeah, but also what she could have experienced, you Mm -hmm. know, like her and dad would have gone... Um, they didn't travel much in there, um, you know, when they were younger. And mm-hmm. yeah, once my brother and I left the house, like, you know, emptiness as they call it now, but mm-hmm. the life they could have had and yeah. the wonderful times they could have shared together and experiences they could have had and what you should everyone deserves. Mm-hmm. I think as I got older, I realised what more and more she missed out on. That would make me angry. Mm-hmm. I never felt angry about myself and what I've missed out on. That was mm-hmm. more just sadness. Mm-hmm. But um, funny you should say that because last weekend – even though I've just talked about feeling happy and acceptance, um, I did, I felt quite angry last week, but I think that was On Mother's Day? Yeah, Mother's Day. I think that was more for kind of you in a way, like just the unfairness and like knowing that it's the first Mother's Day and just how long it's taken me to feel any sort of resolution knowing what sort of you've got ahead of you. That's what upsets Mm. me the most about grief loss now. It's not so much a personal thing it's just that how shit it is and what's to come yeah I feel like that's yeah so anger no I don't think I ever felt too angry but certainly get like feelings of anger and sort of I guess resentment yeah yeah I what, don't to think, you? Uh, I don't know if anger's the right word I mean like I've I said before I feel really fucking hard done by and I guess maybe that's anger like I feel I feel really pissed off that it had to well, be my mum. Yeah. And, and especially because, you know, with my dad, I could understand why he died young. Yeah. You know, he did not look after himself. Like, bless him, you know, he was he was a kind, generous guy, but he really abused the body that he was given. Yeah. You know, like, he fucking smoked a tobacco pipe my entire life. He would, like, my memories of him as a child, he, like would be in the car, he'd wind up all the windows, <laughs> light up his pipe, like smoke out the whole car, like wind down the windows and just no thought about it at all. Like yeah. intrinsically selfish in a way. A hundred percent. And and that's I mean, this is sort of branching off into, you know, what I know about alcoholics and 
I, I you know, from my experience, I, I know about my dad's situation, which is that from, from what I understand is when someone is an alcoholic, the age that they are when they start seriously drinking, mentally they stop maturing. So my dad that really found like hard liquor in his early 20s, right? And that's when he really started drinking whiskey because in his... When he was younger, he was never really that into beer and stuff. This is this he was is a, a hard liquor drinker. He, he yeah. was. He would drink, no shit, half a forty ounce of whiskey a night, and Far that. Out. I mean, as a kid, I didn't sort of understand. Well, you didn't know any different. No, either, I didn't know did any you? different. And and you know, he was a fun drunk. Like you know, he was so charismatic, such a good storyteller, um, loved loud music and stuff, and. I, you know, my fond memories of my dad as a child was he probably, he always worked, you know, he always worked. He never got hung over or anything like that, yeah. which fucking blows my I mind. Know. But he was obviously so, like, well, used to it yeah. and, and whatever. The functional. They've become he was so, fun- he was yeah. high, high functioning alcoholic, obviously. Um, So he would get pissed and then he would go up and he'd get into bed and he'd like listen to his music with his headphones on, like in his stereo plugged into the side of the bed. And I would go up and I'd listen to his music with them. And, you know, that's when I started listening to um, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. He introduced me to Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd, all that shit. And I fucking loved it. And he used to work at Radio Haraki, so he had all these amazing stories and everything like that. But the point of the story is, is that the shit that was important to him when he was in his early 20s, which was listening to rock and roll music, like having nice cars, like eating out, all that sort of stuff, going out to dinner. That was all the same shit that was important to him, you know, when he was in his, like, late 40s, exactly. early 50s. Didn't change. He never got out of that mindset. Yeah, because yeah. my dad was 40 when I was born, so he was a little oh, bit older. Yeah, yeah, true. And so, you know, as a kid, I didn't really understand that, but I forgot where I was going. No, you're saying, so, like, the age at where he sort of yeah. started heavily abusing alcohol was sort of where his mindset always yeah. was at. Yes, yeah. of course. And yeah. so, And so when... He had the strokes because he had the strokes. I was about 15 or 16 when he had the first strokes. And it was like, well, of course he fucking had serious strokes. Like if you drink that much whiskey every single fucking day and you smoke like, you know, a tobacco pipe. like And he would have been still like in his late 50s. That's not... Yeah, I mean, he, I'm surprised he, he didn't have any strokes or whatever health, serious health problems before that. No, he was he he was literally never sick. He was he and he used to say the whiskey killed all the illnesses. Absolutely, <laughs> and he never ever threw up. For him, throwing up was like a phobia, which was so weird because, and to be fair, even in my youth, as a like you know teenager drinking and stuff, I was never much of a, like a spewer or anything no, like that. But I'm not you know not anywhere near as much of a drinker as he is. No way. I definitely have the same coping mechanisms as mum which I can get into a little bit later but um you know I I wasn't surprised when he got sick I wasn't surprised when he got terminally sick and I wasn't surprised when When he died died. because I thought what what the fuck do you expect like your body is a temple you know and I don't say that because I'm like a super health freak or anything like that I still eat whatever the fuck I want and like try to exercise a little bit or whatever but you know I definitely like love sugar and carbs and all that sort of stuff and I like having the, you know, few glasses of wine and beers with friends and 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 whatever. But with mum, she she 
didn't drink fuck all. I know. You know, she didn't smoke. Nah, oh, she smoked a little bit. She, that's, this, this is actually why my dad started smoking the tobacco pipe is because if my, if someone had cigarettes, my mum would smoke them. Yeah. She was like a social smoker. And when I was a badass 15 year old that thought it was cool to smoke and I started smoking, started out smoking in secret with like my girlfriends down at the park and, and like in the late afternoon and how the fuck no one ever noticed. I guess because my dad smoked inside yeah, the house. But, yeah. No one ever smelt anything. No. But, um, we went away to our batch uh, one New Year's and my brother dobbed me in and was like, oh, Zoe smokes. And, you know, she was like, well, stop smoking. And I was like, no. And so from then on, it was like, oh, well, you smoke. So I would smoke at the, at home and she'd just be like, oh, give me a ciggy here and yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I snapped out of it at 17. I, we were talking about it the other night that um, I quit smoking once I got a, a boyfriend that was really anti-smoking, which actually yeah. really helped me, so... I know, but luckily, like, but you're trying to say, you know, she didn't deserve it. But mum, see, like mum obviously died of bladder cancer, which is smoking. But I started smoking at 12. Fuck. Her cigarettes. Fuck. I'd sell them at school, yeah. And dad smoked cigars. And I guess for them, like, thinking about a parental mindset, I'm not a parent. But, Mm -hmm. like, how could they tell us not to do something? Not to smoking. I guess it must have been how they felt. Like, so... Like 15, 16, we were very, very lucky. We'd have be able to have parties at our house. But same. We were all smoking. And everyone, everyone smoke inside. And I, I think, I do think that was sort of like, like late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, you know, so. sort of mid oh, 2000s. Mid 2000s. Is when, is mid when, 2000s. Yeah, because yeah. I was, I was like fucking 13 in <laughs> the year 2000. Um, So yeah, I mean, but kind of we're getting off track here, but basically I understood why my dad got sick. Yes. And I never felt sort of super... Why him? Of it. Yeah, no, yeah. because because like we talked about um, previously is, you know, the the alcohol abuse that he did to himself sort of after he started having the strokes, it, I think it did damage his brain and it did, it did severely change his personality. And I really, after he had that first stroke 10 years before he died, the deterioration over those 10 years, I really felt like, I, in no way did I feel sort of very much like he was a parent to me anymore. No, well, you, you know? wouldn't, Zoe. Like, he was always yeah. sort of more like a... Kind of, not a liability, but sort of like... I always just think of like almost as like an old sort of crazy uncle. That's, yeah. that's like literally the category I put him in, you know? like. But it's good that you can sort of admit that and, and see it for what it is. Yeah. Because I think that would probably help with grief. Yeah. And there's nothing you could have done... There's absolutely nothing you could have done no. to, to change that or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah. I guess, I guess you know, the, the point of my story is that with dad, I didn't, I don't feel like I went through the major grief that I went through with mum because I experienced it probably more when he was alive. I think right. I, ex- I think I experienced like the, why the fuck are you doing this to yourself? Like you are choosing to get pissed every night, like instead of being a, a functioning member of our family. And mm. if that's your choice, there's nothing I can do about it. No. Isn't it just so interesting how, like, you know, we've got this sort of grief template in a way, but how grief can affect, how you interpret grief can affect different people and, yeah. like, how you feel about different people. I think yeah. the point I'm trying to get at is that you don't grieve the same way in every scenario, Absolutely obviously. Yeah. So, so for me, like, with Dad, I... I really feel like, like the, the, the grief wasn't as intense, intense. No. Yeah. And, and yeah, because yeah, I've talked about it enough, but 
I had so much time before he died to kind of go through some of these motions. And, and I definitely felt like, why the fuck does everyone else have like these lovely, like present dads and, and minds yeah. choosing to like your whole life. You felt that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Whereas with mum, I really felt it's she, unfair. I, it is unfair. Like she had, you know, not lived a super, super duper healthy life, but she never was reckless. She was never like a big partier. She wasn't like a drug taker. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean that someone that does that sort of shit not. deserves to die, but she wasn't a risk taker or anything like that. She was so sensible. Well, she actually life. didn't really have, and if you look at in a scientific purpose, huge risk factors for, no. for breast cancer. Like she didn't have, um, there wasn't the a family history no. of it. Um, and I think, I think smoking's a big part of it or certain, I think hormone replacement therapies can, mm-hmm. don't quote me, but can contribute for a woman of her age, she mm. didn't have, she was, um, you know, ate well, um, she was working, she was not yeah. heavily stressed. No. Um, and she was looking forward to her retirement with yeah. her, um, you know, children and their grandchildren. So she yeah. wasn't sitting in the category of possible someone, like possibly someone getting breast cancer and then quite soon after getting metastases. So yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think there's been, with mum's death, anger so far. Like, I don't no. think I've felt that. I think, I think I'm probably feeling it more now in these days, sort of. To be perfectly honest, I think probably, Zoe, you're sitting in the, without maybe even realising it, probably in the depressed. I, I definitely know that I'm in the depression stage. And, yeah. and I think what they're saying is by these stages aren't linear, is that they don't necessarily have to happen in this particular order. No. So... So denial for me probably was the, you know, when she was diagnosed and I thought this can't be fucking happening. Like yeah. I depend on my mum so much, you know, she, she coddled me so much and this I, just am, can't be I am such a fucking mummy's girl, which yeah. everyone knows. And it's like a common, it was always a common running joke among my friends yeah. that, you know, uh, because my mum had separated from my dad quite a few years ago and she never sort of met anyone else that she was always a really big presence in our friend group you know she was like a um icon. identity yeah she was an she icon was an identity. She was. <laughs> yes yeah. yeah even when I first met you like yeah. I only met and then met Kathy quite soon after and I could totally see what everyone was talking about yeah like yeah. for I mean because you know my friend group that I'm there's my core group of girlfriends now the majority of them I met in high school mm. when I was about 15 16 years old so none of my girlfriends grew up as kids coming and staying in my house knowing mum but they all met her, you know, when we were sort of in our, in our, in yeah. our mid-teens. And she, you know, was invited to everyone's wedding and yeah. kids' birthdays and all that sort of stuff. Like, she played such a big part in all of my friends' lives and stuff. For someone that hadn't been there, you know, necessarily from their childhood, she just, you know... Was there. Like, I remember even as a nurse at the hospital where mm-hmm. she was working at, like, I'd bumped into her a couple of times. Yeah. And she's like, oh, hi, you know, so nice. I'll buy you coffee and we'd yeah. sit in the cafe and have... A scone or a muffin. Like, yeah. And it, she cared so much about did. all my friends and everything like that. So, yeah. yeah. Not all mums are like that. She no. Was a she, she really was. Yeah. Like, I, I just I just feel like out of a lot of the mum relationships that I have seen and, like, you know, I've talked about some of my girl to some of my girlfriends about their relationships with their mum and sometimes they say, oh, you know, I, I, I feel bad getting annoyed about my mum when I think about your situation and that your mum's gone and... And stuff, and I, and I guess that is what makes me feel pretty fucked off about the fact that she has died now. Is like I was so much closer to her than what most people I think. Looking outside, you know, you 
it's easy to look in, you know, from the outside at someone else and be like, oh yeah, like, you know, there's your mum and you kind of get along or you see them when you have to and, you know, when you're obligated. Whereas I would see my mum so much. I would spend so much time with her. So the fact that she's gone when I depended so much on her, it's not fair. No, and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Back to what I was talking about before about acceptance is that for many, many years, I felt that way, and mm-hmm. but it's only now, and I'm not saying you should feel this way because it takes a lot of time, I feel like um, I, I feel lucky enough to have had an amazing relationship yeah. with her because so many people don't. Yeah. That's taken me a very long time, don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, you know, every Mother's Day or whatever, and and just certain times you feel like, when you hear people's stories going about how they fucking hate their mums and she's yeah. a fucking bitch, and I'm like, well, that's not fair. We're yeah. like... I love mine, where she, yeah. so I totally get where you're coming from. I'm also at a stage where, in a way, I feel like I've failed her mm. by not having a family or children. But that's a different Aww. topic. So I can I can totally understand it is the unfairness of it. like, And that is total anger, what you're going through. So, like, anger and a bit of, de- like, depression and it's and sort of textbook. I'm yeah. pretty angry, I think, also... On my kids' behalf, because she was such a lovely grandma, grandma. to them, and I she know. absolutely loved them. And it's been really tough. Like my my daughter, who's three and a half, has sort of over the past couple of months really started to, you know, I mean, she's three and a half. Her language is really developing and stuff, and she's really starting to say things like, oh, "I miss grandma so much," and oh. she drew a little picture of like I know. she's just learning to sort of how to draw people and. Out of the blue, without any sort of direction from anyone, she drew like a bunch of little, they look like, honestly, like little Miss Potato Heads, but she drew a few people. (laughs) And then she was telling me about who everyone was, and there was a picture of a little person like up in the sky, and she said, oh, that's grandma up in the sky. And I was like, oh my God, like that's so not fair. And as someone, when I, both my grandfathers died before I was born, never had a grandfather, um, my dad's mother passed away when I was seven and my mum's mother passed away when I was 18. So sort of, you know, I remember them and stuff. But it's crazy now to think, Zoe, to, mm. start, to change the subject, there's people our age mm. with all, all of their, their grandparents, grandparents and yeah. all their grandparents. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, great, lucky. Right, amazing. But it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And then there's you with... No parents, no, no grandparents. Nothing. Nobody. <laughs> all alone. So no wonder why you feel <laughs> fucked off. Yeah, and I think I think for me, yeah, that's probably where I where I feel the anger, especially like with with Holly, my baby, who's you know one and a half. Like she she won't ever remember her, no. and even Sadie, who three and a half, talks about grandma and misses her and stuff. I don't think she will probably remember her. She might remember like flashes, or well, you know, we'll show her photos and talk about grandma all the time. Yeah. But but it's interesting how today, like with the, her drawing. I mean, what instigated that? There must be no some idea. sort of memory or... Because I'm not one, like, I don't necessarily know what I believe in terms of what happens when someone dies. And I don't, I don't really think I believe in the concept of a heaven. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Fine. I'm yeah. unaware. But my daughter keeps talking about grandma being up in the sky and I'm like, where have you got like I haven't talked about it. I'm like, where do you hear that? And she's like, she keeps asking me if Grandma is with the aliens. And oh. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. She might be. And I also don't know where she's talking about aliens from. But 
a mass. I mean, who knows? You're right. That she probably something she sees on TV yeah, or some, something some like of those that. Programs but are quite informative mm. for young children, like Bluey and stuff. Maybe school or I mean, who you? I know yeah. it's fascinating. Where do they get it from? I have no idea. It's, it's but crazy. I guess it's. I mean, she also drew that nice big sun. So yeah, lucky she. I don't think she's traumatized by it, but she has started to talk about. She it. She started talking about mum a lot more than what she previously had because yeah. you know it's a big difference between three and three and a half, and it's been six months. But she's she's now talking about my mum more than she has at any other point. Yeah, interesting. And still sort of saying, oh, "I miss grandma" and everything like that. And I'm like, "Yeah, I miss grandma too, and it's okay. Like you're allowed to miss her and everything yeah. like that." So. Yeah. Yeah, no. Aww. It's 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 really really never ending and I think a lot of you listening would probably resonate with that is that grief is again so linear and there's no when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen but it stays with you certainly forever. Mm. Yeah, so I mean I definitely feel lately I I feel like I'm in the depression stage yeah. and and I can I can recognize that and I know that I am and I, I I haven't yet I know I should I haven't reached out to any counselors or, or gone to any therapy and stuff and I I sort of have it in the back of my head that like yeah I know I need to do that I think it'll help me a lot but I haven't sort of I'm just it like will, oh I'm just at the moment I'm putting it in the too hard basket and you're probably still it's a one day at a time and yeah. you found little coping mechanisms like you're reading, which is, like we said, it's better than shooting, you know, shooting up heroin. Yeah, so basically um, what I've been doing is, at, at the moment, what I know I'm doing to manage my grief is I've all of a sudden started reading books pretty much nonstop. Like, whenever I have a moment to myself and stuff, I'll just sit there and I'll read a book. And I just, yeah. I feel like I want to escape to a world that's that's not mine, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I want to, you know, just basically like nothing too heavy I just want entertaining stories that I can sort of escape absorb into and and not have to think about the fact that fuck life's hard at the moment and my kids are at a tough age and yeah you know there's a lot of shit going on and you know something I haven't talked about previously but about a month after my mum died my husband herniated two discs in his back and it was fucking horrendous he was laid up in bed for weeks he could not move Oh yeah, it was, it was months. months. It was months. It was yeah. it was awful. And like I had Lizzie, you're such an angel. She was coming around like every second day, if not every day, like managing his medication and taking us to the doctor, making sure we were asking the right questions because you previously worked um, overseas, yeah, sort of like a as pain. a pain specialist, yeah. sort of thing. So you knew what he should be taking and when. And I just, I you know, I had sort of I had checked out a little bit at that point because I had just gone through the looking after my mum and dealing with all of that sort of stuff and that was so hard and it was so emotionally draining I just felt like all my empathy had been spent I had nothing left but what an awful feeling to be in because yeah you're not an unempathetic person and no. like but to be exhausted that's yeah and I'll talk about that in a second exhausted of what you can give is a yeah. very 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 real thing yeah yeah so with with that on top of the fact that mum had died because you know, it, when mum was sick and when she was here with us and I was looking after her, he was around, he was able to body. good. Yeah, yeah, he was really amazing. He was able to sort of do a lot for the kids and keep them entertained and get them out of the house and stuff because they didn't understand. He was good at life goes on type. Like yeah. he went to work when he could and yeah. it was very much still routine. Like yeah. everything else was chaos. And then when he got uh, like injured, you know, when he hurt his back and then he just was in, in unbearable pain. 
I felt so fucking helpless. And not only that, I didn't have them, him here to help me with the kids. And then normally, or your mom. yeah, or my mom, my mom would come and watch my kids or just hang out with me. You know, before she got sick, she was such a hands-on grandparent. You know, she would watch my daughter, Sadie, before I had Holly, like I, I went back to work a couple of days a week and she would come and have her and it was amazing. And she was so helpful. And, or, you know, like I said, she'd come and do her 500 loads of laundry that I can't <laughs> seem to stay on top of and all that. You know, I had her there helping me almost when I didn't need it. And then all of a sudden when my husband got really badly injured and he was completely out of action, I had lost that. My, my key support person was then no longer here. Yeah, and, and, needed your, and needed your support. Totally. And that's when I think probably he's come right now, thank God, and he's getting, you know, he's he's probably at like 90% back to sort of normal. And but, but that was like a really tough road. And that on top of mum dying. But not only that, it was the whole combination of like, you know, He's a trade. He's a tradesman. Mm-hmm. Like financially, what's mm-hmm. going to happen? Yeah. Like for him, what's going to ha- like all his hobbies were sort of gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like he's such an active person. Yeah. You know? I mean, and it was have... horrendous. It was the worst thing that could have happened. That was. And but... I think that added. I mean, without a doubt, that added to sort of the depression that I felt. And and now that he's better, because I think it was it was sort of like I was jumping from one crisis to the next. Yeah. Like I was, I was I was dealing with the death of mum and and all that, and then all of a sudden I was dealing with the, like, incapacitation of my husband, and, you know, he was in in and out of hospital and all sorts of stuff and having injections into his spine. Like, that was fucking horrific. It was. And now I'm at, sort of out the other end of that, and now I feel like I'm just... Your body just, like, lets go. It, I, it, yeah. I, like, I, I feel a little bit like I don't even know what to do with myself sometimes, yep. and I feel kind of at a loss, and I feel... Well, you've got something to... Like when Thomas was sick, that sort of was your focus, sort mm-hmm. of like running on adrenaline. Like it was sort of like what to do next. But now when sort of there's nothing else to focus on, that's when it really hits. And yeah, yeah. and I think that's that's for me now. I I can't just let my mind be unoccupied yeah. because because then I find I. I dwell on things and I think about things too much and I I get really upset and stuff and so that's for me you know, I think why I've been reading so much, just, just like fucking bullshit books that, you know, I fell into this rabbit hole of like TikTok, which is called BookTok, where there's all these like, really? Yeah. I I fucking love it. It's like just, there's millions and millions of book recommendations. And so I've downloaded them all onto my Kindle and I'm like trying to get through them all, but I'm sort of probably, I'm doing exactly what my mum did when she would, would become overwhelmed or when she was sick, when she first, when she first was sick, the second That's time right. and we didn't know that she was sick she started withdrawing a lot yeah. and she was constantly just sitting in the corner reading That's listening right. to audiobooks and shit like that and it was it it drove me fucking crazy and now that <laughs> i can see i'm fucking doing it and it's driving thomas crazy he's like put down that fucking book like you need to stop reading i'm just like i just can't like i just i, know, I need it to. to cope because otherwise i'll just think Oh, everything's fucking shit. And, and it's not. And apart. it's not. It's not. I understand that this for me is is what I'm doing to sort of just get through the immediate time period without feeling too depressed. Depressed. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like I do know that I think this is And is it working? I mean it is. Like I'm reading lots of really rubbish books, but the I, I mean, mean it's entertaining and, and that, but I also, I can, I can see that I'm withdrawing, you know, like I'm, I'm probably, you know, I should be 
engaging with everyone a bit more and being a bit more available to chat and this and that and I should be doing more housework but I'm just like I just fucking can't right now yeah no totally and like that's when I feel quite lucky because you know when I was going through I can just so it takes me back to like Mm -hmm. you know my time when I but I was only I was only 21 so Mm -hmm. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't have a and family no one would to be like, after. Oh, you yeah. need to give, give like, the kids a bath or whatever. You're just yeah. like, Ugh. Or like, um, you know, I could go out and get wasted, which, of course, you know, you'd do. Yeah. And, or like, I don't know, I'd had a six-year-long relationship that I'd broken up with, so sort of like, not the world's your oyster, but like, yeah. you know, I think I sort of um, distracted myself yeah. with... In other ways. Dating. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, other ways, but I was... I could I was lucky enough to do that, but I guess in your position, you know, you still got huge responsibilities. Mm. I can I can see that that would be really hard to manage. Which... But it, I mean, it could be worse. I could be drinking heavily. Well, exactly. I could be like leaving Thomas home with the kids and like I'm going, going out, out on tonight. the town, like yahooing, and yeah, you know, I could start doing drugs or anything like that. And like none of that shit appeals to me no, at all. No. So it's just a book. In terms, yeah, in terms of like what my escapism and my vice is, I think. You know, sitting in the corner reading a book is probably relatively harmless. I think but so. I, but I do understand that that it's what I'm doing. Like I'm withdrawing, and yep. you know, I, and and people might, you know, do something different. Like people might throw themselves headfirst into, like a, a new job or a hobby or something like that. Something that occupies their time and their mind, so they don't have the time to sit and dwell and like maybe think about things and reflect and. And stuff, and I don't know. Maybe what I'm doing, well, it, it, you know, to me, it feels like it's giving me, you know, like, oh, I've got to read another chapter. It's something to look forward to, and it's exciting but and it, stuff. Yeah. But I, but maybe I'm delaying the healing that I should be doing. I don't no, know. The thing is, there's no right or wrong, and I don't think there's any time frame to healing. And what is healing? Yeah. What do you mean to do? Sit there and meditate? I well, mean, they I say don't know. they say time is the best healer. So it I'm is. just trying to find shit. To occupy my time until I feel better. So, from a personal point of view, I think what you're doing is like the mo- the most harmless, yeah, and I think it's yeah. very reasonable. And I think good on you for recognizing how you're feeling, knowing something that's sort of healthy mm-hmm. and a way to escape, and it's working. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, coming into your house today, it's not like you know the house is in full neglect. There's no, no food in the fridge. <laughs> You've got a miserable husband and two like upset children that's yeah. not what did I say so just don't beat yourself up too yeah. much yeah you're doing just what you're doing. just tell that to Thomas when he's like yeah get up your ass and but you know again <laughs> wash the dishes on. yeah <laughs> and and you can see that from their point of view as well but like you know I think it's such a personal journey and you have to do what works for you and if it comes across as slightly selfish well so fucking be it yeah you're that, the one with no parents I think that's how I feel at the moment I feel like I'm being selfish yeah well selfish maybe it but you know what at least it's not what happened to me unfortunately I guess in a way you could say I learnt the hard way a wee bit but you know what happened happened and um we can talk about that next time okay sounds good see you next time Alrighty, bye and that's us for today thank you so much for listening to us waffle on it's been an absolute pleasure make sure you follow us on instagram at death and all the rest And if you have a question or you'd like to share your story, you can email us at daatrpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.
This podcast was born out of a need to talk about our personal experiences with death. To be clear, we are not mental health professionals. We are simply sharing our stories. 